Amen. All right. In the Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1, the Bible says, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And so I use this not just as a springboard, but we're going to go through and we're going to look at why wine is a mocker. We're going to look at why strong drink is raging, and we're going to see why it's a deceiver. And, uh, and so we'll take a look at these uh, this evening. Now, there's a great deal of talk or perceptions and misunderstanding about the Lord, alcohol, drinking, and drunkenness. Uh, I am going to go through and uh, kind of highlight some things. I have a handout that I'll give you here closer to the end of the service that you can take with you about some facts. But anytime a man wants to do something, uh, anytime a woman wants to do something, and it goes against the principles of God, what they'll do is they'll find a way to justify their actions. Regardless of what scriptures teach, they'll try to justify their actions. However, there's uh, more spoken about the results of alcohol uh, from a negative perspective in the scriptures than anything about ever drinking alcohol for its positive results. <laughs> and so we find the negativity behind it uh, more than anything else. And so as we look at this, um, there are many times uh, that in the ancient days that alcohol was used for medicinal purposes, but most often the Lord rebukes the use of it for personal consumption. Uh, he rebukes the abuse of it, if you will, uh, for personal consumption. And so uh, most of us will use the New Testament references to justify drinking alcohol, and we'll use either the situation at Cana or when Paul recommends to Timothy to take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. We'll use those as tools to drink a fifth of whiskey or to have an entire bottle of wine. Uh, yet in neither case do you see that really being the situation. Uh, but what I want to talk about a little bit tonight is alcohol consumption and more often leads to all kinds of poor conduct. Uh, we'll see that in the scriptures that alcohol consumption leads to poor conduct. It leads to physical ailments. It leads to personal accidents. It leads to uh, property damage and the ruining of families and the ruining of friendships and alcohol does it. Now, I'm not speaking from ignorance. I grew up uh, around it all my life, and uh, we dealt with it in our home on a continual basis. And so I'm not speaking from a level of ignorance. I'm speaking from truth and uh, knowing what alcohol can do to a home. When I uh, started looking into this, I wanted to give you a little bit more than just, you know, a little bit uh, about what the Bible teaches. But just for your, for your knowledge, an estimated 88,000 people here in the USA, 20, around 20, 62,000 men, 26,000 women die from alcohol-related ca causes annually. Uh, this is according to the National Institute of Alcohol and Abuse and Alcoholism. That figure is very recent. It came as December 2nd of 2019. More than 88,000 people annually in the United States die from alcohol-related incidents. This is the one that really stumped me. Uh, worldwide, harmful use of alcohol kills about 3 million people annually worldwide. And uh, Brittany Shute wrote an article called Alcohol Consumption Responsible for 1 in 20 Deaths Globally Each Year. That's at fortune.com. That was just written in September of 2018. So these are not 
numbers that are old. These are really current numbers. So right here in the U.S., approximately 88,000 people. If you put 88,000 people uh, uh, in a football stadium, that's a lot of people, isn't it? And uh, you think about it, that's a lot of folks. That'll fill up a football stadium. You start talking about 3 million people, you're talking about populations of states in the United States of 3 million people. And, and you start thinking about how many people that actually is, and it's all due to alcohol or alcohol-related situations. Now, man will continue, especially Christians, to justify their consumption of alcohol as simply just a few drinks. I just had a few drinks. Um, I was watching a thing on cops, and the, they got pulled over, and the lady said, I'm just tipsy. He said, that's another word for DUI, <laughs> you know? And so uh, alcohol consumption. So how much alcohol does it take for you to get drunk? Well, you don't know until you start consuming it. <laughs> and, uh, and then you don't know how inebriated you are. And in addition to that, uh, we can see where the Bible tells us to be sober-minded how many times. Now, uh, th in every case, the Bible's not always saying when we're sober-minded, is it related to alcohol? But God's saying have some self-control. I don't know too many people when they consume alcohol that have much self-control. <laughs> they start to lose it and in talk, in actions, attitudes, spirit, doing foolish things. And so what I want us to look at, if God had intended the use of alcohol for daily consumption, what would be the reason that he then turns and shows us the consequences of drinking and drunkenness and warns heavily against its use? Why would he okay it and then not okay it? <laughs> I don't think that's the case. I, that's where I run into trouble with the scriptures when they talk about turning the water into wine. Well, pastor did a little bit of homework on that before he came tonight. Uh, I did quite a bit of homework on it, in fact. And I want to share something with you from the scriptures that I believe God teaches us about what took place that day at the wedding at Cana. Now, one message, by the way, is not going to change the mind or the actions of any individual. It's not going to happen. Uh, you know, I got preached to for years about different things before it actually settled into my mind and my heart. And so if you decide you want to drink, you're going to do that whether I preach this message or not. But I have a responsibility as a pastor to warn you that I believe alcohol and alcohol-related situations are going to destroy you and your family, and Satan will use it as a curse upon your home if you continue to do so. Uh, when I look at this, this message won't uh, change your mind or your actions, um, you, know, you know, based on someone who's determined to drink, but the scriptures are certainly compelling when it comes to avoiding alcohol consumption. I wonder why there's not as much study on that as there is on this idea of one time when Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding at Cana, and Paul told Timothy to have a little wine for thy stomach's sake. We'll utilize that as the tool to drink, but we don't look at the rest of the scriptures to really study out why God told us to avoid alcohol consumption. Now, couple of things when we looked at this verse, just in this one verse, and we'll go to some other verses here, and I'll show you in the scriptures some things, but in this one particular verse, God said wine is a mocker, right? Strong drink is a raging. And he goes on and he says, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And so there's some wonderful thoughts here, isn't there? Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a raging, and whoever gets involved in this stuff isn't a very wise person. They're deceived to think that it's okay. So when he speaks of wine being a mocker, as we uh, were taught over two Wednesday services, we're to compare spiritual things with spiritual when it comes to studying the Bible. How many of you remember those lessons Jim did? <laughs> he was talking about comparing Scripture with what? 
Scripture. So we ought to study the Bible. We ought to compare Scripture with Scripture when we're studying something like this out. So we want to look into the Scripture to see what Christ had to teach about the consumption of alcohol. Now, there are two New Testament references that are many uh, used to justify and ignore all other passages God refers to about the outcome of the use of alcohol. So we'll use those two passages in the New Testament. We'll ignore everything else God said in the Scriptures to justify the idea that it's okay to drink alcohol. Now, when man, uh, as I shared with you, wants to justify behavior that goes contrary to the truth, they certainly will even use Scripture to justify their actions rather than look at the whole matter. In John chapter 2 and in verse 9, the Bible says, When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. I find that a very fascinating thought. And we'll get into it in more detail in here in just a moment. You know, because of the sinfulness of man, we miss the truth that is set before us. Uh, this first miracle of Jesus is just amazing to me. And uh, I got to thinking about the Bible on the subject of wine clearly teaches us wine is a mocker. So then the conclusion that it is good to drink because Jesus turned water into wine, is that really justification for drunkenness or drinking? Because he did it one time. Uh, as I looked at this, as a sincere Christian or a child of God, consider some of the following before concluding that alcohol beverages is wise uh, and, and wise to drink. Think about this for just a minute. In 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 10, 23, and 31. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Have you ever thought about that verse a little bit? If what you're doing becomes a stumbling block to another that may be weak in that area, why would you do that? Just ask yourself that question. Uh, so, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't speak anything against smoking weed. <laughs> so if your pastor did that for a living, <laughs> as well as preach, how would you feel about that? Are you with me? It'd be foolish, wouldn't it? You say, well, that's altering your mind. It's altering your thinking. What does alcohol do to people? It alters their mind, and it alters their thinking, doesn't it? And so when you look at this, uh, take heed, lest any, by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Now, Paul was dealing with food in that particular case. He was talking about folks going to the marketplace and uh, eating of these animals that were sacrificed to false gods. And Paul was saying, hey, why would I do this? Or why would you do this? Why would you eat this meat if it's going to take another brother who might be not as strong in their faith? Why would you go and do that? Why would you become a stumbling block to them? And that's what you can do to other people. Now, in addition to that, the Bible says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. <laughs> right? All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. I have never met a drunk that edified the congregation. They just haven't. I've never met someone who edifies somebody when they're drinking alcohol. In fact, they become a burden to most that are around them and a heaviness of heart, don't they? And, uh, and we have to help them along or stop them from stumbling or stop them from talking over themselves or being a fool with the words in which they speak. And then the Bible says, whether therefore you eat or you drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. How many drunks do you know bring glory to God? 
Now, I'm just trying to get you to think a little bit about other scriptures in the Bible. And so whenever we become inebriated or we begin to drink, when, at what time, at what point does that bring glory to God when man or woman partakes of those things? So when you consider the whole uh, of God's counsel, Christ turning water into wine, it's not justification for drinking or drunkenness. So, you know, I ask the question, what amount of alcohol affects you? Well, you don't know until you get started, right? And so you say, well, I know my limitations. <laughs> I could say that about anything sinful, couldn't I? I know my limitations. I know how far I can go. I know how far out to the edge of the cliff I can go before I drop off. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to think. It's just like that, doesn't he? How many drinks does it take? And by the way, the world says that alcoholism is genetic. How many of you know that? That we're genetically disposed to... So how many of us in here uh, are uh, genetically disposed to be an alcoholic? Well, you don't know until you take a what? Drink. And then God's going to send you down a path uh, of alcoholism because you're genetically... Uh, made up to be a, uh, an alcoholic. I, I, I can't, in my own mind, I can't reconcile those things in my mind because that's not the God that I serve. And so when I look at this, we know what the effects of alcohol are on society. There's adultery, suicide, tragic accidents, divorces, cirrhosis of the liver, domestic violence, rage, mocking, the human race. You see us acting a fool. <laughs> and, and, and all of that uh, is that designed by Christ for us to behave in that fashion? And yet that's what comes from alcohol. Uh, you see all of those things taking place. Mocker here is a personified or is personified as a drunkard, and there is not a time to go into all the details of this, but the first miracle of Christ is overlooked and misunderstood by many who just want to justify drinking alcohol. Now, I haven't define it for you yet, and I will in a moment what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Jesus turning water into wine. I think there is a wonderful meaning behind all of that as well. I don't think it's just about some action that he took that day. And, and I, I believe Jesus performed a miracle on that day to help establish, one, a lesson for the people as a servant, and number two, to establish who he was. And I'm going to give you some thoughts on this in just a moment. But what I want to challenge you with is, is why in the world would God say wine is a mocker and then he would tell us to go ahead and partake of it on a regular basis? Now, I cannot find in the scriptures where he told us to partake of it on a regular basis. But we utilize it for everything. I failed a test. Ah, let's go get drunk. I passed a test. Well, let's go get drunk. Uh, my wife left me. Let's go get drunk. I got married. Let's go get drunk. Right? Uh, I got a new girlfriend, let's go get drunk. I got a new dog, let's go get drunk. I got a new car, let's go drink. <laughs> hey, OSU's playing, let's go get drunk. <laughs> hey, Penn State's playing OSU, let's go get drunk. OSU lost, let's drink because OSU lost. I mean, just think about it. I mean, we'll think of any reason to drink. And the thing is, is that whenever you start considering all of this, what happens to those who become inebriated? <laughs> They become drunkards. They're mockers of what God wants us to be. There's no way that person could live the kind of life that would justify or glorify God. This miracle was more than simply meeting a human need and saving a family from social embarrassment. 
I don't think that's what Jesus did that day. I don't think he was just trying to say, listen, we just don't want this family to be embarrassed. And, uh, you know, we don't want to just meet a need for this. I think this was a sermon in action. I believe the day that he turned water into wine, it was a sermon in action. Let me give you some thoughts. This was to manifest his glory. When you think about it, causing the disciples to believe and then shows obedient servants, the faith of Mary, and the coming of the bridegroom for the bride. Now, I just want you to think about those thoughts. Is that not what happened that day? Did the disciples not watch him do a miracle? Did the servants not obey him? And did Mary's faith not say, whatever he says, you do? And then in addition to that, a bridegroom was coming for his what? Bride. And we miss all of that because we're so focused on the fact that he turned water into wine. I've seen entire books written on it, and I know that folks at Bob Jones University have justified drinking now as a part of that. And what I'm sharing with you is, is that the more that goes on and the more we lean toward that, we're no different than the rest of society <laughs> because we're allowing that to enter into our lives. One of the most compelling statements by John was this. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Until now. Now, a strong indication of that which is perfect has come. I read that multiple times. I began to think about, you see, the best was kept for last, wasn't it? And so that best was kept for last, and I believe Jesus Christ is the best. Can we say amen to that? And he was kept for last. And I, and I look at this more than just some uh, miracle that just took place or some uh, thing to save these people from embarrassment or just to meet a human need. And Jesus had now come and manifesting his glory and through a sermon in action, we justify the consumption of alcohol drinking and drunkenness. Let me share this story with an old drunken coal miner was saved. He became a very strong vocal witness for Christ. He was one day challenged by an old friend of his trying to trap him. And he said, do you believe Jesus turned water into wine? He asked the old drunk, the old coal miner. He said, man, I sure do. I sure believe that. He said, because in my home, he turned it into furniture, clothing, food, and got me back with my family. <laughs> Amen. And he was showing him what? He was saying, that type of alcohol that takes away from the, even the basic needs of the home a lot of times. Now, I share with you, I grew up in that environment. I know what I'm talking about. And the fact is, is that it took away from the basic needs of the house at times. And so, you know, we would uh, have that in, in place of other things. Now, he says wine is a mocker, and there's so much more to learn about this miracle of Christ and not simply justification for drinking and drunkenness. So he said, wine is a mocker. So why would Jesus turn water into wine? I think that was a sermon in action. That's what I believe. More so than just trying to meet a human need or to save a family from social embarrassment. I think Jesus actually was a sermon in action. We see the disciples believing in him at that moment. We see the servants being obedient unto him. We see Mary's faith step out. And we see the fact that the bridegroom was coming for the bride at that time. Alcohol use creates an atmosphere of uncontrollable anger. So he said wine is a mockery. He said strong drink is a raging. 
wine uh, was a normal drink of the people in the days of Christ, and we accept this, but its use is, as justification for alcohol drunkenness is not uh, valid according to the Scriptures. Jesus was also illustrating that the world offers what is best first, but once hooked, things start to get worse sometimes. And you think about it, even when people today, the content, the alcohol content that is in a bottle today is far greater than anything they had capabilities of doing in this day. And they used to water it down back then. Uh, you see the joy that the world offers and, and, and you say, wow, you know, how many of you watch uh, alcohol commercials and you think, man, everybody's just having a great time, aren't they? But they don't show you the after effects. They don't show you the car accidents. They don't show you everything that happens to the people. They don't show you the cirrhosis of the liver. They don't show you the violent acts that take place. They don't show you everything that comes after the fact, but they'll show you the joy of that. But once you're hooked, things get worse. So we see that, and it cannot be regained. But what Christ offers is new and satisfying every day. Consider for a moment, if Jesus is your example for drinking, and just think about this, if Jesus is your example for drinking, then why don't people follow everything else he says? <laughs> if they're going to follow that one example, why don't they do everything else that he says? I want to ask that question to folks when they tell me that's their justification for it, and I'm saying, well, why don't you do everything else he says then, right? And then you look at this, this alcohol, also called strong drink, leads to an atmosphere of drunkenness and uncontrollable anger. So does alcohol alter the thinking and the actions of men and women? Yes, it does. <laughs> and, and when it does, it causes them to lose their inhibitions and engage in actions that normally are controlled are now uncontrollable because they're just acting out of what's controlling them, which is the alcohol itself. And so Paul telling Timothy to have a little wine for thy stomach's sake, or Jesus being at the wedding and turning it to wine, uh, do we truly believe that this would be the purpose of our Savior turning water into wine so that these people could get drunk and do all these things? I mean, I, I'm just asking the question now because when I read the Scriptures, that's not the Jesus that I serve. And so would he do this so that these people could become fools? And so you have to ask yourself, according to the Scriptures, would that, quote, hold water? <laughs> right? And so... That does not, however, indicate that drinking or drunkenness is acceptable with God. He tells us throughout the Scriptures to be sober-minded. Our Lord, stating strong drink is raging, do we then determine that we're able to overcome the effects of this substance, especially the content level of alcohol in those drinks today, even when they're diluted, they're strong. And, and they watered them down even, and they're still strong. And so how much does it take? Now, let me give you some verses, because we like to take that word wine, and I've uh, watched some folks do some deep study on that, and uh, you know, most uh, independent fundamental Baptists will tell you that that wine was uh, you know, just a good uh, glass of, of grape juice, okay? So whatever side of this you're falling on, that's entirely up to you. But what I'm going to share with you next, I want you to really think about what the Bible says, Okay? As much as you can justify getting drunk because of two verses in the Bible, I want you to think about this for just a moment, okay? I'm going to give you some verses to really ponder on for just a moment. So if it tells you that strong drink is a raging, how do you avoid be going into a rage? Okay? So if strong drink is a raging, obviously you wouldn't want to drink then, am I right? Because it's what? Creates an uncontrollable anger, is what the Bible says. <laughs> and so here 
we look at this, let me give you some verses now, uh, some things, some basic Bible truths. In 2 Corinthians 5.13, For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. <laughs> so Paul said, it's for your cause that we remain sober. You say, well, that's not talking about being drunk. That's being about in your, in your straight mind, in your right mind, and having some self-control. You got it. So does alcohol allow you to have self-control, or does it cause you to become uncontrollable? Let me give you another verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, and 8. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. <laughs> not watch and be drunk. Let us watch and be what? Sober. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. He said, let us who are of the day be sober. So you shouldn't be drinking at night or in day, right? <laughs> and you look at this and you say, well, wait a minute. That's not talking about being drunk. That's talking about having self-control. How many people who drink are having self-control? Not very many. And so he goes on and he tells us in 1 Timothy 3, 2, and 11, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, having self-control, <laughs> sober and of a good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. In verse 11, even so must their wives be grave, not slander, sober, faithful in all things. In Titus 1, 8, 2, 2, and 4, and 6, he says, But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. A man ought to be sober. That the aged men be sober. So the older men ought to be sober too, not just the young men. The aged men ought to be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, and charity, and patience. And why do they remain sober? That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, the women... Uh, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. <laughs> so you're saying, wait a minute, that's not talking about alcohol. It is talking about self-control. And when you drink alcohol, how many people have self-control when they're drinking alcohol? They don't. The Bible's telling us to be sober, isn't it? And you go on and you see in 1 Peter 1, 13, 4, 7, 5, 8, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you, uh, uh, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch and pray. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. How many verses can we go through in the Scriptures that tell us to be what? Sober. <laughs> be sober. So God shows the consequences of drinking and drunkenness, and then he warns us heavily against its use. And he said, let me tell you what happens to somebody that drinks a lot. What are they like? Well, wine is a mocker strong. Drink is a raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby uh, is not wise. And so alcohol use is deceitful to the user and to the mind that uses it. Now, the drinking of alcohol is said to deceive the one that is the consumer of the wine, and strong drink is not wise. So no one likes to be deceived. How many in here would say, you know what, preacher? Man, there's nothing I like more than being deceived. <laughs> There is nothing, I'll tell you what, preacher, to be deceived, swindled, defrauded, cheated, tricked, duped, taken in, misled, fooled, double-crossed, ripped off, cheated, and betrayed, man, I'm all for it. The word deceived right there means just that. 
That's what it means. Man, I love being that preacher. I love that. I love to be defrauded. (laughs) I love being ripped off. I love being cheated. That's what I love. (laughs) That's why he said, if whosoever is deceived by it is not wise. Why? Because you're literally saying, I enjoy being ripped off. I enjoy being cheated. I have not met a man who was a drunk and got sober that says, man, I really enjoyed being a drunk. (laughs) Once they really come out of it and get away from it and their mind is clear and they feel like they're living life again rather than just soaking in the suds and they feel different about things. Let me give you a couple of Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs 23 real quick. Look at this with me in Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Everybody with me? Say amen. If you're still awake, say amen. Amen. Those of you that are asleep, say amen. Amen. (laughs) Look at verse 20. Be not among wine-bibbers, among righteous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Wine-bibbers. He's not talking about something good there. He's talking about something very negative. He's talking about the drunkard. And then he says, look at verse 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. (laughs) They that go to seek mixed wine. Look Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. He's talking about a drunk. And, and you read that and you say to yourself, what is he discussing? Well, if you look at verse 29, the woe, the sorrow, the contention, the babbling, the wounds, uh, uh, the redness of eyes, where's that coming from? He's asking a flat out, question, rhetorical questions. You know, who's happy in that state or that condition? No one. But the one that stayeth long at the wine, it biteth like a serpent, doesn't it? Like an adder. It stings. And then he goes down and he goes a little bit further. He says, because then their eyes behold strange women and and thine heart shall uh, utter perverse things. I remember an old country song that said it Two, I went home with a ten. At ten, I woke up with a two. And you think about that for just a moment. And the thing of it is, is that alcohol does that to the human mind, doesn't it? It's a deceiver, isn't it? And and you think uh, through this a little bit. If you were to say, well, you know what, preacher? I just really enjoy being swindled. (laughs) I enjoy being ripped off, preacher. I really enjoy being defrauded. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing I like more than somebody really just taking me. There's no one in this room that would say that, but that's what alcohol does to the mind. And it robs you and it rips you off. When you think about this, uh, deceived is, is, is the um, folks that get involved in this drinking and drunkenness. When you find this word deceived used throughout the scriptures, it always carries with it a negative connotation. It's never positive. It's never positive. 
2 John 1, 7, For many deceivers are entering into the world who confess not that Jesus is Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So we read that and we say, well, man, anybody that would say that Jesus is not the Christ, right? But then he says the same thing about wine, about strong drink. <laughs> he said it's a deceiver. None of us want to be taken to believe that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh, do we? And if someone tried to deceive you like that, wouldn't you say, no, 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 the Bible says. <laughs> so why would we partake of something or ingest something into our body that would do the same thing to us and cause us to be deceived? Revelation 12, 9 says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. <laughs> that word deceiveth used in Revelation is the same word deceive that he uses in the Old Testament to say that you have been swindled that you've been ripped off, that you've been double-crossed. And he's talking about the devil and Satan, the deceiver. He deceives how many? He tries to deceive the whole what? World. And so it's the same word. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So when you find this word used throughout the Scriptures, it usually carries with it that very negative connotation. Deception in the Scriptures is always tied back to someone. Do you know who deception's always tied back to in the Bible? Anybody? Throw it out there. Satan. Satan. And Eve was deceived. deceived. <laughs> right? And so every time you have the word deception or deceived, we never like that because we know that it carries with it that very negative connotation. And yet God said the very same thing about wine and strong drink. However... There are Christians, even in this community, and there's a lot of it goes on around here, by the way, folks. Believe me, a lot of drinking goes on in Minster. <laughs> All you got to do is stand in Wagner's or, uh, over here for about 10, 15 minutes, and you can see how much strong drink goes out of there on a daily basis. And the thing of it is, is that it's the deceiver. Nobody would say that they want to be deceived. <laughs> Yet many drink a liquid that deceives them. My question to you tonight is this as well. Would Jesus give us something to create an environment that would create violence, that would create deception, that would create that kind of an environment for those people? You know, when I read that, that's the question I have to ask myself. So then does the Bible contradict itself? Or is wine a real problem for man? <laughs> and so you've got to look at the Scriptures as a whole. So when you look at this, compelling Christians to avoid alcohol consumption, you know, that shouldn't be a hard task for any of us. It really shouldn't. We should be able to just look at it and say, yep, you're right. Not a hard task. But man is deceived, and one message is not going to change your mind. It's not going to change anybody's mind that I preach it to. But the fact is, is that wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not what? Wise. Do you believe the Scriptures? Amen. So as we look to the Bible and we see this, those who believe in Christ Jesus should understand that Christ's miracle of turning water into wine is not a license to drink and to live a life of drunkenness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I ask you to bless tonight. Lord, help us to think through the Bible.